You're listening to Perry Noble's thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. You can find Perry online at perrynoble.com. All right. Well, hello and welcome to the April 2015 edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Hey, my name is Shane and I'll be our host today. Uh, Before we get into today's topic, there's two things I want to make sure everybody is aware of that we're doing here at New Spring. Uh, The first is this. uh, Back last fall, Perry did some online coaching Uh, And we got such a great response to that, that we're going to do that again. And so this online coaching is available through newspringnetwork.com, and it's available starting on May the 14th of this year. But what you need to know about this is you got to go register for it, and it's limited to 50 participants. So this is a real select, very focused online uh, availability to this. So make sure that you go check that out. Uh, as soon as you can. And the second uh, announcement we have before we jump into today's topic is this. Uh, We're going to do a kids and students conference. So a kids ministry and a students ministry conference called The Wave. You know, at New Spring, we say all the time that the wave starts in the kids and the student area. And so we've seen so much fruit from investing into our kids ministry and our student ministry that we wanted to create an opportunity for those of you who are interested uh, to do a one-day conference on September the 17th, again, of this year, this fall, September 17th. Registration just opened, and you can get to all that information at New Spring Network. Uh, Perry, I ran through those pretty quick. Anything you want to say about either the online environment or the WAVE uh, student conference? You know, I, I would just encourage leaders, if you've been, you know, a lot of times we'll do the coaching network. We, In fact, we just finished up a, a coaching network here, and a lot of leaders have said, well, I can't get on a plane, or I can't, you know, I can't get that time away, or I can't, and I understand that. Um, I'm a part of a couple online coaching networks myself right now that I'm, the rec- I'm on the receiving end of it, and so I would tell Leaders, if you want coaching, but you don't want to leave your house, um, that's a great way. And then as far as the student um, children's conference, that thing's going to sell out. So you need to get signed up as soon as possible. And I'm going to say this as clear as I can. Senior pastors, you need to come to this. Yep. You have got to come to this. One of the main reasons that student and children's ministries suffer is because the senior pastor isn't the head cheerleader for these things. And so you've got to come to this, it's going to be it's going to be so much fun. Man, that's great. Yeah, you didn't want to miss either of those opportunities. Well, today uh, we're going to talk about, or this month's topic is this: lessons learned in the fire. You know, Perry, leadership is challenging. Leading a church or an organization where so many others are dependent on you is filled with pressure and even sometimes opposition that you wouldn't expect. Uh, If everything rises and falls upon leadership, then the leader needs to be able to rise up to the pressures and challenges he or she might face. So that's what we're going to talk about this month. Uh, Perry, I think you would say uh, specifically, uh, you know, late 2014, early 2015, you've been hit uh, by what might be called a trial by fire. And as a result, I know you you believe you've you've been learning some great lessons uh, that we think would be helpful uh, for our listeners as well. So Let's just jump into some questions. Uh, let me just ask you this to start out with, Perry. Uh, what would you say is your is your biggest ongoing personal challenge as a leader? I think it's the attention that that you receive. Um, everybody seems to want the affirmation that leaders receive, but very few times do we want the attention. And the thing that I'm learning is that the bigger your leadership platform increases, so if you got 50 people attending your church and it goes to 100, or if you got 150 and it goes to 300, 
the bigger your platform becomes, the more people pay attention to um, what you say. So, um, you know, 10 years ago, I could have said whatever I wanted to about any politic, uh, political thing or sports or, or anything out in the world. I could have said it, and I wouldn't have received a lot of attention for it. But as your, like I said, as your platform increases, so does the attention. And so back in December, um, I preached a message on the, on the Ten Commandments of, in, in Scripture, and it got, I think one of the biggest challenges, to go back to your question, is being misunderstood misrepresented and misquoted. Um, I think that that's something that I haven't learned how to personally, it's just, it's one of those stress, those stresses, those temptations that you got to battle through. You're misunderstood, you know, misquoted. People say, well, you said this, or you said this, or you meant this, and nobody really understands the heart of what you said. So as a leader, that's going, at some point, that's going to happen to you. Somebody's going to say, you said this in a blog, or you said this in a message, or you said this in a training session, or whatever. And I think that's just been, that's one of the challenges I don't think leaders ever really get used to. So what you're saying is, I mean, your words matter. I mean, they matter when your church is 50, but when they're 100, there's more ears listening. All of a sudden, you're going to have more people respond to that. Um, that reminds me, Perry, you know, we kids sometimes here, even on staff, you'll say something, and if somebody on our staff doesn't take the fullness of what you're trying to say, they'll end up saying, well, Perry said we can, or Perry said we yep. can't. Yep. And then all of a sudden, we've got this new rule at New Spring Church that you never intended just yep. because of the attention you've got at the position you're in. So um, let's let's dig into that a little bit. What do, you, what do you do? I mean, I don't know that there's any seminars out there saying, hey, before you get a bigger platform, let me tell you about all the struggles you're going to have when everybody's listening. How have you been learning uh, how to deal with this? I I've tried my best to watch and learn from leaders um, who are ahead of me, and how do they handle how do they handle this type of pressure? And it, it and you don't just need to look for if you're a church leader, you don't need to just look for leaders in church world. You need to look for business leaders. You need to look for um, political leaders. I mean, political leaders more than anybody. Good gosh, they get. I mean, they get hammered. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or independent, um, and and just kind of watching uh, people and how they handle criticism, being misrepresented, misquoted, and watching the ones that do a good job, and then watching the ones that do a bad job, and then kind of learning from like the ones that do a bad job. I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. But then the ones that do a good job, I'm like, hey, I, I want to learn from that guy. I'll give you an example. I, I started not to do this because it's political, it. but um. So if you're listening to this, I want you to listen. This is not a Republican statement or a Democratic statement. It's definitely not an independent statement. They're all too high right now. They're not listening. Um, I, it's um, when Barack Obama was first elected and during his first term. Now, l- listen, please don't send me emails about Barack Obama. Um, I do not think he's the Antichrist. I do. I mean, it's. I do not. Anyway, don't any any emails. I pray for the president. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. Love our president. Okay. With that in mind. Um, his first term, I think he had some, um, I think he had some bad advisors around him, because uh, there would be less, let's say the the congressman from Wisconsin. And by the way, if you're listening from Wisconsin, no insult, um, but you don't even know who your congressmen are. So, <laughs> so um, Obama would would 
like the congressman from Wisconsin who's got a little district and nobody's really paying attention to this guy. And Barack Obama would stand up and say, well, yesterday I heard that the congressman and would call his name from Wisconsin said such and such and so and so. Well, then CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, everybody is running to the congressman in Wisconsin and asking them, hey, what's your opinion? Well, before Barack Obama, the president of the United States, with who, who I would argue the most powerful platform in the United States, before Barack Obama mentioned this guy from Wisconsin, he had four Twitter followers and, you know, there's his mom and his dad and his wife. And, and that was it. And all of a sudden, because the president surrendered his platform, this guy gets more attention, um, more credibility automatically. And it's not, and it's because the president surrendered his platform. And so that's one of the things um, that I've, I've kind of taken to heart and learned in, in, as leaders you don't, we don't need to surrender our platforms. It, it, sometimes we think that what one person says on social media or what one person said in the hallway is the opinion of everyone, and it's usually not. And so that's one of the things I've learned just from watching leadership. Well, that's good. What's, uh, so what in particular has made the last few months really a trial by fire? Well, it's I think the toughest thing as a leader that you've got to – I'll just say it not responding. It's biting your lip and figuring out when do I say something and when do I keep my mouth shut? When do I, because at the end of the day, I know the truth about X or I know the truth about Y or I know the truth about Z and I could, I could, and, and man, I've got some zingers. I've got some one-liners that I can come back at people with. And, um, I've kind of got that quick wit about me. And so sometimes that's good. Most of the time that serves me horrible. Hmm. And so I think that the primary lesson I'm learning is when, when you don't know what to say or when you're angry, it's best to just keep your mouth shut. Um, I've gone to what the word, I've gone to what Jesus's brother told us multiple times. James 119, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I've had I've wound up quoting that verse more than I want. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It doesn't say don't get angry. It says slow to become angry. Um, and so that's something I've had to internalize and be like, you know, I'm just I'm just not just because someone speaks out against you or your church or your organization doesn't necessarily mean it warrants a response from you. Hmm. I think that's, that's one of the big ones I've been learning. So so you mentioned listening, but how has this changed the way you listen, learn, and even the way you lead? Well, it's changed the way I listen because with with social media today and with the impact that it's having, you've got to be selective in who you listen to. I had a um, really great friend one tell me years ago, opinions should be weighed, not counted. And I thought, man, that is so huge. Opinions should be weighed, not counted. Just because somebody has an opinion doesn't mean it's the right opinion. And so I've had to learn how to listen to, um, and I think I've shared this before on this podcast, but people that love Jesus and then love the church and then love me mm-hmm. in that order. I'm always going to listen to that person. Um, and people that don't love Jesus, love New Spring, or love me, um, it's not that they're ungodly. It's not that they're even wrong. It's just that because of the amount of 
feedback that I get or another leader gets via Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter or you know Instagram, you can't pay attention to it all. And so that's it's changed the way I've listened. It changed the way I learn um, simply because I realize um, the old adage, criticism like chewing gum. You know, take it, chew on it, and then spit it out. I've learned that that might be one of the most irrelevant statements about criticism ever. You know, 20 years ago, it made sense because there was no social media. And people, you know, Bible Boy 182 couldn't go write a letter. I mean, you, you had to write a letter to the editor and you had to sign it. And that's why it, it's so frustrating because these people go, well, this is all about freedom of speech. Well, the thing about freedom of speech that's guaranteed to us by the Constitution and even before that, the Declaration of Independence, is those people actually had the guts to sign their name. And so when you begin to allow people that won't even identify themselves online and you let them shape your life, you have turned your back on Jesus. Let me say that again. When you allow people that won't even identify themselves to shape your leadership and what you do online, you have stopped following Jesus. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare that leads to death. And we will fear negative tweets sometimes more than we fear God. And I just think that those are just some things I've learned. And the way it's, the way it's changed the way I lead is very simple. I don't lead from let's get in a room and try to figure out how to make everybody happy. I'm like, you know what? God's called us to this. Um, you know, did we sin in this? Yes or no? Well, the answer is no. Did we, um, you know, make a bad judgment call? Yes or no? Well, the answer is no. Well, then let's move on and let's not talk about it anymore. That's good. Um, you know, Perry, the the thing that um, you know I hear in that you're talking about when people will question the motivation of your heart because they'll or they'll uh, question the direction of your message uh, and they'll forget the fact that you know ultimately you're trying to point people to Jesus so I'd love for you to talk a minute about when somebody you know we can talk about the Ten Commandments thing you mentioned earlier we can talk about just any Sunday pick one at New Spring Church where the point of the day is you're trying to point people to Jesus connect people's real-life problems with a real-life Savior but uh, at times, people who might be listening that might throw darts at you or take issue with something you said, they're trying to pick out phrases or syllables that don't sync up with their own idea about the right way to point someone to Jesus or deal with their problems. So how, how, what, do, what do you do with that, knowing that, hey, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they love Jesus. Like you said, they're Christians and they're fine people. But they're taking something out of the context of your message and missing the, the forest for the trees. Like you're trying to connect people's life to Jesus. How do you deal with that? You know, it's tough because, um, and this is kind of bold, but I was reading this yesterday actually with my daughter. Um, people that do that and, and people that do that on a consistent basis, I actually think they're more like Satan than like Jesus. Because when Satan was tempting Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, he actually took a section of Scripture and twisted it to try to make it say something and tried to use it against Jesus. And while he took a section of Scripture, he didn't pay attention to the totality of the message of the psalm that he quoted. He just quoted you know, a verse and a half or two verses. And I'm like, people that sit around, people that sit around, and look for mistakes that other people make and then pounce on those mistakes 
would seem to me that the best word to describe them would be accuser. Now, if you look up the definition of Satan in Scripture, Satan is an accuser. In Malachi, not not um, Malachi chapter three, but um, I believe it's Zechariah chapter three. Satan is accusing the high priest. Um, in Revelation, he is the accuser. And so I'm just listen. I know this is strong, but I'm just saying if there's somebody out there, if you're a leader, and they're constantly accusing you of doing something that you you know you did not do of saying something that you know you did not mean it that way, and they do not know your heart, and these people are constantly attacking you for what you do, and they're accusing you of wrong things, and they're spreading lies about you. John eight forty four, Satan is the father of lies. And so I'm just saying, you've got, I'm not, you've got to understand where criticism's coming from. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 that wounds from a friend can be trusted. And there is a right place... And there is a right way to confront people and point out sin or error or ask for clarification rather than just accusing somebody of, you know, being an apostate. I got called an apostate the other day. I didn't know what that was. I had to Google it. And I had to anyway. I thought that's what your doctor checked when you went in for a physical. Apostate? Yeah, I got my apostate checked one yeah, time. Okay. It was, it was I, very maybe uncomfortable. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It was very uncomfortable. That doctor... Anyway, um... I didn't know what that was. He was like, I need to check your, I need to check your prostrate and prostrate, prostate. That's it, prostrate. That's how angels fall. That's right. All hail the power of Jesus' name. But I was like, okay, you're going to do what? And then he told me what it is. I was like, you are a dirty man. Anyway, if you're listening to this and you've never had a prostate exam, this portion of the show is sponsored by Yeah. Get a Prostate. Anyway, yeah. so totally went off channel, but we're not. You gonna, get your PSA numbers checked so you don't die. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Do that. We're not editing this out either. That's important. That could have saved somebody's life. I have no doubt. It's important. Okay, what were we Though about? we know you're not apostate, but we're talking apostate, about. Apostate, that's it. So apostate. <laughs> but basically, the heat gets Ooh, turned up. I'm sweating. And you know, that certainly reminds me, you know, talking about being accused or the heat being turned up. The story in Daniel chapter three, you know, when King Nebuchadnezzar puts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, in the furnace. I mean, don't you agree? I mean, sometimes it feels like that. Well, here here's the deal. Um, I've been preaching now for over two decades. Have I said stupid stuff? Yes. Have I said stuff that I wish I wouldn't have said? Yes. Have I said stuff that was wrong? Yes. Um, but in every instance where I know that I've made a mistake and somebody that loves me and loves Jesus has confronted me, I feel like I've been open to it. Um, the thing about this is, is it, if you boil it down to just who I am, I'm a guy that didn't know Jesus. Jesus saved me, and he's changed me, and he's continuing to change me. And I want that for every person in the world. Now, I may not want it the way that everybody else wants it, but that's what I want, and that's what I'm striving for. And um. Leaders, I'm just going to tell you, you can have the right motivations, you can take the right steps, and it doesn't mean that people are going to treat you in the right way. Um, you know, you mentioned that that phrase, or that story in Daniel chapter 3, but I remember reading this one day and just being blown away because Daniel, I mean, I'm sorry, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
um, made the right decision. They did not bow when the king, you know, and all the horns and stuff like that. And then King Nebuchadnezzar brought them in again and gave them a second chance. And they didn't do it then either. And so the Bible's, and, and you would expect like God to show up in that moment. You would expect God to show up and say, I'm going to rescue you. But the Bible specifically says in verse 19 of Daniel chapter 3, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And I remember pausing right there and saying, you know what, as leaders, sometimes the furnace is going to get seven times hotter before we really discover what God wants to teach us in that moment. We think sometimes, and I know I've thought this many times, that if I do the right things and I say the right things, I'll never get in trouble. And then I'll read about Jesus who did the right things, said the right things, and they crucified him. And so as a leader, sometimes when the furnace gets turned up seven times hotter, that shouldn't be something that causes us to run. It should be something that causes us to open our eyes because we all know the story. After the furnace turned up seven times hotter, they got to see Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that was the reward. And so I'll take a furnace that's seven times hotter if I can see Jesus every single time. Man, that's good. You know, one of the things you said you You've uh, been learning some uh, some lessons through this fire, and I'm curious, what what's this time taught you about loving other people? Uh, okay, so this is the toughest one. Um, during you know December, January, when people are saying things that you know, and every leader's been through this. Somebody is saying something about you that is not true. Somebody is taking something you said out of context. Something is, you know, something is going around work that you did not say. And um, my go-to emotion is anger. Um, and that's not, I mean, it's, everybody goes, you're a sinful person. Well, we all are. Welcome to Romans 3. Um, I know enough theology to know that I was born sinful. All of us were born sinful. Um, but the first 18 to 19 years of my life were so jacked up that my first, my go-to emotion is pissed off. I go from zero to pissed off in about 1.2 seconds. And so I wanted to be angry. And I'm looking at, I'm, I'm, intentionally looking up the passages where like Jesus made a whip and I'm like, man, I want the whip passage. You know, the part in Nehemiah 13 where he rips people's beards out. I'm like, yes, I've got a verse. Um, but the, the passage that God kept leading me to during my most recent round of, and I don't like, let me, let me just kind of say this leaders. If I would have heard this 10 years ago, I'd have cut the podcast off. Do we have podcast 10 years ago? Uh, I don't know. If I heard this five years ago, I might have cut this off. There were things that you listened to. That's true. So. That's true. If I was listening to a tape 10 tape, years ago, I'd go. have ejected it and <laughs> threw it out the car window. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And I don't like this, especially when I'm angry. He said, a new command I give you. And I, I think that's funny because... Because when you, you got to watch these people, when you start messing with their commands, they get really upset. Uh-oh. He said, Jesus said this, though. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. Then he said this, as I have loved you. Now, he had just washed their feet. So, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, love was not optional. And then he said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Not if you tear people apart with your theological intellect. It's if you love one another. And so going through this trial by fire has taught me, man, I've got to, I've got to try my hardest 
to love people. Now, whether I succeed or fail, I I don't know, but my go-to emotion cannot be hate. It cannot be rage. It cannot be anger. My go-to emotion has to be love, especially if they're a brother or a sister in Christ. Um, and, and so that's my, that's my thing. I think that God has taught me more because let's be honest, whenever Christians fight with each other over things that one day, I'm just going to say this will not matter. The world looks at us and they don't go, I want to be like that. But if we could love one another, just think, just think about this. If the entire Christian community could agree that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, rose from the dead, and is coming again. If we could just agree on those things and everything else, we can have a conversation about it, but we won't argue. We'll have a conversation, and we practice radical love, and we loved each other in spite of our differences. That's irresistible. And let's be honest. The reason people have walked away from church isn't because we love each other so well. It's because we have taken this commandment and butchered it. And so I just... I, it's just one of those things, and I hadn't got there yet. I mean, I'm, I, w- I wish love was my go-to emotion, but it's not. But this is the thing that Jesus kept bringing me back to: is you've got to love people as I loved you. Yeah, that's that's really great. You know, love and unity in the heart of a leader, I think, is is a really big deal. And so, it's hard to be unifying in the for the big C church, or it's hard to be unifying even in your role as a leader if you don't understand this idea of love. Um, so so how is this this idea of trying to love to be the first emotion, how big a deal is that when you're trying to be unified with other believers? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, that, and it took me a while to learn this, Shane, and you kind of, you've kind of watched me learn this lesson in front of you and the rest of our leadership team. Um, an angry leader produces angry leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, a frustrated leader produces frustrated leaders. A leader will replicate him or herself. And so if you're miserable, you'll produce miserable leaders. If you're, if you're healthy, you'll produce healthy leaders. And so I realized during this time that if I become angry and I become divisive, then I've got a few hundred staff members that are going to follow my lead just because of the way I act and just because of the way I position myself. And they're gonna um, they're gonna become angry, and they're gonna become divisive, and that's not who I want to be. That's not who I want our staff to be. That's not who I want our church to be. And so it's a real big deal in regards to how leaders respond to attacks, criticisms, conflict, and stuff because your people will follow your lead. No, that's really good. Um, how would you counsel a leader who's in in a fire? Uh, to pay attention to the things that matter and get past the things that don't. So let's assume there's something that matters in this, that God's doing something in the heart of a leader, in the heart, in your heart, all the things you shared about. What would you tell a leader who's in the middle of that to pay attention to? This is what I would do. So um, I'm not going to call the guy's name because I didn't ask for his permission, but he's a good friend. Um, he's a worldwide known Bible teacher. I mean, this guy's recognized all over the world. And when the whole Ten Commandments thing went down, and it had posted online. He called me, and he said, um, hey, I'm calling you right now because, number one, I love you. I want you to know I love you. Number two, I'm concerned for you. And he said, um, I listened to your whole message, and he said, we probably won't agree on everything. He said, but you said one thing that was not true. 
And he said, I went and actually paid a research assistant out of my own pocket to have this confirmed. He said, you said that there wasn't a Hebrew word for command. And he said, um, he said, you're smarter than that. And he said, there actually is a Hebrew word for command. And we, we talked through that. And I remember after that phone call, um, emailing a couple friends of mine in Israel and they're saying, Hey, well, you, you, you didn't quite understand that. Right. When, when I was talking about, there's no Hebrew word for command. And so I remember um, having a conversation with you and a couple other people on staff going, I think that I need to apologize for saying that statement. I'm not retracting the, the message. I'm not retracting it, but I think I need to apologize for saying there is no word for Hebrew command because that's not true. That's, that's inaccurate. And I said that because I'd misunderstood something I'd wrote in my own notes um, from a study trip in Israel. You know, I've been over there 10 times. I've studied under like Hebrew scholars. You have too. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so, um, so this was my thing. And, and, I, and I would just counsel leaders. Um, if you made a mistake, say you're sorry and move on. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a blog post called um, a, a Letter to the Church I Love. Um, I told the church, hey, I, I said that. I, I'm, I'm sorry. It was not accurate. I didn't mean to mislead anyone, da-da-da-da-da. And um, I moved on. People still tried to bring it back. People tried to bring it back up three or four weeks after, and I would not engage in discussion. Address it and move on. Address it and move on. You cannot stay um, at a campground where there's nothing but crap being thrown around. Because, I mean, it just stinks at the end of the day, really, literally and figuratively. And so I would just say um, that's one of the things I learned is um, say you're sorry and move on. And the other thing I I learned, and I'm still learning this, is not everything that's said about you warrants a response from you. And so um, be wise about that. Get some wise counsel in your life. But at the end of the day, you know, um, I'll go back to that phone call. That guy loved me. He loved me enough to call me. I listened to him. We probably talk once a year. I mean, this isn't like one of my best friends, but he loved me enough. He didn't, this is the other thing I respect about it. He didn't go online. He didn't call me out online. He could have. He didn't call me out in one of his podcasts. He didn't call me out on a blog. He called me personally. And anybody that does that, who has a sincere desire um, for, for the things I listed earlier, for Jesus and the church and for me, and I'm going to listen to that person. And that, that helped me out. So that's the other thing I would say is listen to people, but listen to the right people. I love that. I love this, this saying, you know, if you make a mistake, admit it and move on. It reminds yeah. me of Philippians you know, ch- chapter 3. Paul said, forgetting what's behind, I press on for what's ahead. You know, we don't need to be limited by our past mistakes. We just need to learn from them and move forward. That's real good. Um, that's real good. So, uh, hey, you know, I think we've covered uh, a lot of ground today, you know, lessons that you've learned in the fire period before we sign off any final thoughts well the thing that i would encourage leaders with is like um one of the dumbest things that somebody could say to you i mean they'll say um hey uh i need to tell you something don't take this personally um that's kind of like walking up to a guy and kicking him square in the nuts and then going hey man don't take that personally i mean i'm I'm sorry but you just you 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 just kick kick me you know, you know I, that hurt. I'm, I'm going to take that personally and so i would not tell any leader right now don't take it personally i've heard people say well when they're attacking you they're really attacking jesus well 
it felt like they attacked me. I don't know how Jesus felt. Um, I'm, he's in heaven right now. He's on a throne. He's got it going. I mean, it's going really good for him, and he's going to come back and take me up there one day. Um, but I would say that it's going to hurt, but the level of the size of the vision that God is going to give you is in direct proportion to the pain that you're willing to endure. And so um, Jesus's vision was to save the world. His pain was unbearable. And so if you're willing to endure great pain, it means God is probably giving you a great vision. And if you cry and complain over a paper cut, you're, you're probably not going to go very far. I'm telling you, it is personal. It does hurt. It is severe. That's why, um, that's why, and I, you know, I heard Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris preached a message recently at Gateway Church about Jesus being a human. And um, when Jesus was on earth, he was human. And it's one of the most powerful descriptions of, of Jesus I've ever heard. But in that, um, Pastor Robert talks about how Jesus is able to relate to us in anything we go through. And so I think as leaders, one of the reasons we go through these furnaces that are seven times hotter is that so we can see Jesus about seven times clearer. Mm-hmm. And so I would just encourage the leader out there that's going through a tough time, keep your head up, keep your head in the game. The only reason Satan's trying to discourage you is because he didn't want, he doesn't want you to make it to your breakthrough. So don't let him win because the stakes are too high. That's great. It's good stuff. Thanks for listening uh, this month, and we'll see you next time here on the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast.